I was asked the other day by one of our elders if I would repeat, and I'm glad that he asked me because I like to repeat some things, and this is a very good thing. It's an introduction to our lesson today, which is on the Holy Spirit, his gifts, and, and uh, how those gifts are to be used. First of all, I want to read you something that was taken from a letter that was actually found in a baking powder can wired to the handle of an old pump. It offered the only hope of drinking water on a very long and seldom used trail across the Amargarsa Desert. This is the letter, and I'll read it. Quote, This pump is all right as of June 1932. I put a new sucker washer into it, and it ought to last for five years. But the washer dries out, and the pump has got to be primed. Under the white rock, I buried a bottle of water out of the sun, the cork end up. That's enough water to prime the pump, but not if you drink some first. Pour out about one-fourth and let her soak to wet the leather. Then pour in the rest medium fast and pump like crazy. You'll get water. The well is never run dry. Have faith. When you get watered up, fill the bottle, put it back like you found it for the next feller. Signed, Desert Pete. It has a postscript. P.S. Don't go drinking up the water first. Prime the pump with it, and you'll get all you can hold. Now, here are the principles of faith, and here are some principles of hope, and here are some principles of love. This is the way in which the gifts of the Spirit are going to be used. And this is something that I want to talk with you about today. In the 12th, 13th and 14th chapters of Paul's letter to the church in Corinth, we are given a vivid description of the gifts of the Holy Spirit. All of you who are students of the Bible will recognize that the ministry of the Holy Spirit is that blessed ministry by which we come into a knowledge of Jesus Christ as our Savior and as our Lord. Apart from the work of the Holy Spirit, no man can say that Jesus is Lord and really mean it. And so it's necessary for us to know about the Holy Spirit's work, and it's nece necessary for us to know about his gifts and how we are to use these gifts. In the 12th, 13th, and 14th chapters of 1 Corinthians, Paul is dealing with a very ambitious Christian community. The church in Corinth he had gone to somewhere around the year 50 A.D., and he had stayed there for 18 months, and he had established in this very wicked and licentious city a little colony of heaven, a little group of people who were called out by the Spirit of God to embrace Jesus Christ as God's own Messiah and to know that in the cross of that Messiah that there was forgiveness for their sins and that by the gracious ministry of the Holy Spirit there was newness of life. We are tempted to think that if we were pastors over a church where there were enormously gifted people, that this would be just about the ideal church. But that's not always the way it happens. There are sometimes very gifted and talented people who do not exercise their gifts in love. And when they do not exercise their gifts in love, they can be terribly troublesome. And they can create great 
uh, dis dissension and disunity. And so Paul begins the letter to the church at Corinth. The first six uh, chapters, he has to deal with the divisions that have crept into the church and other problems that are there. In fact, one of the greatest uh, expositors of the English Bible who ever lived was a man whose name was a G. Campbell Morgan, George Campbell Morgan. And he calls this a first section of Corinthians, the carnals, and he calls the last part of Corinthians the spiritual, where we get the gift. Because in the first part, there are people who are saying, don't you realize that I was baptized by Paul himself, and therefore I'm better than you are. And there are people who say, well, that's nothing. I was baptized by Peter. He may be the first pope. And so that means that I'm better than you are. And there were others who said, listen, did you ever hear Apollos preach? You know how gifted and eloquent he was? He baptized me. So I've been instructed by him. And they were all divided up into little cliques and groups. And then there were people who actually got into trouble with one another and went before pagan law courts and sued each other. And then there were cases of terrible immorality. Uh, you know, we talk about the gifts of the Spirit, and if I have time, I'll enumerate the gifts of the Spirit. In the fifth chapter of 1 Corinthians, Paul talks about the gift of celibacy. I never have heard anyone pray for the gift of celibacy. There are some who ought to pray for it. But I've never heard people pray for the gift of celibacy. And yet this is looked upon in 1 Corinthians 5 as a gift. Now then, you go on through 1 Corinthians and you see these things taking place. You get into the sections finally that deal uh, with trouble at the Lord's table. There were people who were coming together for what was called a love feast. And the love feast was turning into a drunken, gluttonous brawl. And these church night suppers were a disgrace. And so Paul is going to have to correct very firmly uh, these abuses that occurred there and then tell people that to take the Holy Supper is a supremely serious matter. And so he'll do that. And then when he realizes that these are marvelously gifted people and that they make much of the gifts of the Spirit, and so he's going to talk about these gifts. And he's going to tell us four things that I hope you will be able to remember from what I want to say this morning. Fact number one is that spiritual gifts are important. He says... Now concerning spiritual, and the gifts, by the way, in, is in italics here. That means that it's not in the original manuscript, concerning the spiritual. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I do not want you to be unaware. This is a phrase that means I don't want you to be uninstructed or ignorant. Actually, the King James says he has to repeat that phrase again and again. He does not want them to be ignorant about gifts. You have to learn a lot about gifts. Tomorrow I will have been married for 27 years. It'll be our anniversary. And I will give my wife a gift. It won't be a monkey wrench. She's probably always wanted one. Uh, but, but I won't bring her a monkey wrench for a, uh, an anniversary present. Uh, I'll try to get something more appropriate than that uh, so that it would... Uh, 
be more indicative of the manner in which I love her and appreciate her putting up. Maybe a monkey wrench might be appropriate after 27 years of living with me. But anyway, uh, the Holy Spirit gives us the gifts that are suitable to the occasion. Uh, and he brings us gifts that are, that are uh, for us as individuals. I don't know anyone who claims all 19 gifts of the Spirit that have been identified. There are some nine gifts listed here in 1 Corinthians 12. Now concerning the spiritual gifts, brethren, I do not want you to be unaware. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to the dumb idols, however you were led. Therefore I make known to you that no one speaking by the Spirit of God says Jesus is accursed. And no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. Now what this tells me is this, that there were people who perhaps in some frenzy might say Jesus is accursed or Jesus is put down. And Paul stops that. He had been one who as a persecutor of the church had compelled people to blaspheme the name of Christ. And that's what the word means there. It means to put down, to blaspheme, to be accursed. And here Paul is saying that a man who speaks that way is not speaking under the influence of the Holy Spirit. And then he goes on to say the most important lesson that you could possibly learn today, and that is that the greatest work the Holy Spirit will ever do in your life is to cause you to be able to say and to mean it that Jesus is Lord. That Jesus is Lord. That Jesus is Lord over your home. That Jesus is Lord over your body. That Jesus is Lord over your profession, your talents, your gifts, your money. All that you are and all that you have belongs to him. Jesus is Lord. Those three fingers symbolize this to the earliest Christian. Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord. No man ever comes to that, or woman, except by the gracious ministry of the Holy Spirit. And then the Holy Spirit brings us gifts. And the gifts that he brings to us are important. And so those uh, of us who have not thought much about the gifts of the Holy Spirit ought to read 1 Corinthians 12, 1 Corinthians 13, 1 Corinthians 14, and learn about these gifts. They are important. And uh, they are to be governed by the Word of God. That's why we, we should look at this. The Holy Spirit also gives us these gifts, but he governs us. He governs us by Scripture. And we must use the gifts in the manner in which Scripture decrees that they are to be used. When we get apart from Scripture, we get into trouble. And uh, they are also gifts that we should recognize as important for the use of the whole uh, body of Christ. They are not given to us so that we may display them in some vain and spectacular manner to draw attention to ourselves. But we are to remember that they are given to us for the edification is a word that occurs in chapter 14 again and again. The word to edify means to build. A church is sometimes called an edifice. It's a building, something that has been erected. Now the Holy Spirit is building the body of Christ and he builds the body of Christ and gives to us his good gifts for the purpose of building up the body. We have said that the gifts are important, that they are to be governed by the scriptures, 
and we are, have said that they are to be used for the whole church, and we are to remember that they are varied. Not all people have the same gift. Now, I promised you that I would read to you a list of some 19 gifts that have been identified. First, there are apostles, missionaries, cross-cultural use of other gifts, apostles, prophets, and teachers. The teachers, of course, would be gifted in communicating, including preaching and writing. There were the gift, there is the gift of an evangelist. There is a sense in which every Christian is an evangelist. But there were people such as Billy Graham, I suppose, who have a great deal of authority and power and anointing in preaching and have a way in which they can succinctly uh, put the Christian message and call people to repentance and do this in a marvelous way. If you belong to the Lord Jesus and he is your Savior and Lord, then you should study how you might bear a testimony to someone else about your faith in Jesus Christ. What would you do if some person said to you, could you please tell me how I may become a Christian? That's an important thing for us to be able to answer. Every Christian ought to be able to answer that. A pastor, uh, the pastor is the care of souls. And by the word, the same word there is the word we have for ruling elder uh, that we use in the Presbyterian church. Our elders have the oversight. During the time in which I was sick, our elders were looking very carefully after people in the congregation, attending to the needs of the worship here. Uh, they uh, help to guide the thinking of our church. Uh, they help in many ways. Uh, the ministry is help. by the word, the word for ministry is the same word for deacon. That's setting up chairs. I know that a lot of people would rather stand up perhaps and... Uh, uh, demonstrate something in a solo than they would to set up a chair. But it's a gift of the Holy Spirit. The gift of ministry here is helping others. Administration. Uh, that means that you wouldn't think administration is being a charismatic gift, would you? But it is. It means being able to figure out how to get the bills paid, how to organize things so that they can function more smoothly. You go through registration, I'll promise you, you want the gift of administration. Uh, everyone feels it this time of the year. Uh, then there's the gift of wisdom, which is extraordinary judgment and perception. All of us have been thankful to God that in his providence we have known from time to time people to whom we could go who had a word of wisdom. We knew that the counsel which they gave us was not just the computerized accumulation of facts that they could spit out when we asked them a question but that they had wisdom. They knew how to apply the knowledge that they had gained through experience. I cannot help but think of Dr. L. Nelson Bell. This morning at the conclusion of this service, we'll sing his favorite hymn, All the Way My Savior Leads Me, by the fullness of his love. Dr. Bell was one of those people that I used to go to frequently for wisdom. He was one of those people uh, who lived and walked close to Jesus Christ. I've said to our congregation here before, but I'll say it for the benefit of those of you who may not have known it, I came here about 17 years ago. I always loved Dr. Bell long before I came here. I've known him for almost 25 years. And I keep thinking that I'm going to bump into him some Sunday morning when I come rushing out of my study. He taught so faithfully his class here. I used to go down to the post office for my mail, and when Dr. Bell went by, I would just get a little whiff of glory when he passed by. 
Uh, Dr. Bell had an extraordinary gift of judgment, and he was a peace-loving soul. No wonder that carved on his grave marker over in the Swannanoa churchyard are words that it would have been so utterly typical of the man. I shall be satisfied when I awake in thy likeness. Can you imagine a better thing than that? I shall be satisfied when I awake in thy likeness. Knowledge is the accumulation of information. There are people who are very gifted in this way. And uh, so uh, they, because of their 1,600 board scores, are helpful to some of us who didn't quite make 1,600. Uh, <laughs> faith is the discernment of God's specific will. The first illustration that I gave you was about a man who comes across the desert, and he comes upon a baking powder can and fishes out of it a letter. Now he has to exercise some faith. Is this some practical joker who left the note there? Or is that note really true? When he finds the bottle, should he really try to quench his thirst with it, or should he pour the water into the pump and try to prime it? He has to exercise faith, and that means some risk that's involved, and then he hopes. He hopes that what's happened there is going to be true. We're beginning a brand new year, and we're hoping for good things to happen amongst our student body and the faculty and the administration and our friends in the church and the community this year. The gift of faith. Uh, this is a gift from the Holy Spirit. Exhortation is spiritual counsel that's effective. You can be down and out, and there are people who can encourage your heart who can make you feel better when you're homesick, make you be willing to stay for a while, and then it'll go away, and one day you'll look back and say, you know, I went to see that person, and I was just ready to quit school, and after they talked to me, I felt better about it all, and I stayed, and I'm so glad that I did. Then there were miracles, supernatural gifts. Then there were tongues. Now, this comes very far down in the list, and I don't know whether that's significant or not, but I do know that the gift of tongues, and by the way, I firmly believe that there is such a gift and that there are Christians who experience this gift today, uh, that it is a gift of, of ecstasy and ecstatic utterance that is given by God, a language of praise. But we're also told that there should be an interpreter. We're also given some rules for following it. And we're also told that we're not to exercise that gift as a matter of pride. That'll always get us in trouble. And then there is an interpretation, he says, of tongues, the understanding of this message in tongues. The discerning of spirits is the recognition of authentic spirits in some and phoniness in others. And you'll see a lot of phoniness in the gifts of the spirit. There are a lot of faith. Giving liberality. Giving is a gift of the spirit. There are certain people who give so generously and so graciously uh, far more than we would think. And they do it with such a, a, a way that we know that they are just uniquely touched by the Lord. And then the gift of mercy, it's compassion for others. And then, as I said earlier, the gift of celibacy, which is some people who have sacrificed the joys that might have come to them through a married life in order to carry out a mission for Christ in another way. And these are some of the gifts that are there. Now, those are some of the gifts. How are they to be used in the few minutes that I have left? The 13th chapter of 1 Corinthians tells us how they're to be used. And if you'll look at it, see what it says. But covet earnestly the best gifts, and yet I show unto you a more excellent way. Now this is the road, this is the way, 
And whatever you do, do not forget this. Do not think that this is simply a beautiful little piece of poetry that's tucked away in the old King James Version of the Bible and that it's something that's recited at weddings and it's sentimental and not applicable. I always tell congregations there are two themes upon which I preach that I feel very fearful when I touch. I do not like to preach about hell. I don't like to preach about hell because it's distasteful to me to think of the fact that there are some people who are going to refuse the lordship of Jesus in their lives and refuse the gift of salvation and push God out and say no to God in such irrevocable manner that they will be cut off for all eternity from God. I don't like to preach about it because I like to be popular. And I know people don't like to hear that. And I also know that they think it makes me sit as a judge on other people. And so I don't like to be put in that position. And yet I have to preach it because Jesus preached it and taught it. And it's real and it's necessary. And we have to preach it because of love. The other is the 13th chapter of 1 Corinthians because it speaks about love. And the reason that I fear this passage is because I am such a hypocrite when it comes to living it out in day-by-day life. Had Jesus never lived, Paul could never have written these words. I think that Tertius, whose name is at the end of, of 1 Corinthians, is a scribe who copied it down, that when Paul dictated these words, Tertius must have put his pen down and must have looked up through tears, thinking about it. Here are these ambitious people. And so Paul says, though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels and have not love, I am become as sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal. Sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal? Those pagans in Corinth could have heard the gongs calling people to their temples. They knew that these percussion instruments made of brass made a horrible, ruckus sound. We love to hear a violin solo, but no one here would go to hear a cymbal solo. You wouldn't want to hear the clanging of cymbals as a solo. And yet Paul says, so what? You've got the gift of tongues of men in eloquence or of angels, this ecstatic gift. If you use that gift in pride, you become a sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal. You must use your gift only guided by love. And what about prophecy? Though I have the gift of prophecy, now look at the word all, and understand all mystery, all knowledge, though that I have all faith, so that I could remove mountains and have not love, I am nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned, and have not love, it profiteth me nothing. Those first three verses are the autobiography of a Pharisee named Saul of Tarsus. There was a day in which he had the tongues of men or of angels. There was a day in which he would have given his body to be burned. There was a time in which the gift of prophecy was everything to him and all of the minute details of it. A day in which he spent his time in spinning forth the fine points of the mysteries of theology and of the law. But then on the road to Damascus, after persecuting the followers of the Lord Jesus, this man at that time 
found himself confronted with the love of God in the one whom he had been persecuting. And you remember, young Stephen had been stoned to death and he had consented to it and he could not get it out of his mind. And so he knew that all that he had been doing, as religious as he was, was in vain. It's all nothing without love. Because if we have love, we will exercise our gifts for the good of the whole body, remember? Now then look at verse 4. What are some of the qualities of this love? It suffers long and is kind. The word kind is where we get our word for kindred or kinfolk. You ever notice how we make allowance for our children when they do something wrong? But if the neighbor's child does something wrong, oh, we can think some ugly thoughts about that. Well, we make allowances for our own. We need to feel a kinship in the body of Christ that we love one another in him. And that's important. Love does not envy. Love does not vaunt itself up. Uh, it is not puffed up. Knowledge puffeth up, he says, in another place. But if we had love, we wouldn't allow it to puff us up. Instead, we would use that knowledge to be the servants of others. If you have high board scores, then you can help someone else. If you are gifted in certain ways, then take that gift and use it as a means of assistance to, to someone. Does not behave itself unseemly. Let me say at this point, the telling of dirty jokes is unseemly. There is immodesty in dress that is unseemly. It's vulgar and tawdry and cheap and sorry. Don't take your style from television. Don't take it from the idiot magazines that you see on the stands today. That stuff is from the world and the flesh and the devil. But take your guide from the Holy Spirit. Does not behave itself unseemly. See to it that your conduct is in keeping with what will bring honor to Jesus Christ. Love does not seek its own, and it is not easily provoked. Doesn't get angry. Think, uh, is not easily provoked, think of no evil. Rejoices not in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth. And now notice again the word all. Bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails, but where there be prophecies, they shall fail. Where there be tongues, they shall cease. Where there be knowledge, it shall vanish away. For we know in part, none of us knows it all, and we prophesy in part, but when that which is perfect is come, then that which is in part shall be done away. When I was a child, I spake as a child, I understood as a child, I thought as a child, but when I became a man, I put away childish things. For now we see through a glass darkly, that is through a, a burnished mirror that is distorted. We can't understand it all now. But then face to face, now I know in part, but then shall I know as even also I am known. And now abideth faith, hope, love. These three, but the greatest of these is what? Say it. Love. love. The greatest of these is love. The greatest demonstration of love was what? Estelle Brousseau played so beautifully for us a moment ago. It was on the cross of Jesus Christ. 
That's why Paul could say, I am crucified with Christ, and nevertheless I live, and yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. At the close of a great meeting in Charlotte Chapel in Edinburgh, a great Scottish preacher was preaching, and a young woman came up to him, and she said, I want to be a Christian, but I'm a concert pianist here in the city of Edinburgh, and I do not want to give up the stage, and I am afraid that if I really give my life to the Lordship of Christ, he'll ask me to be a missionary to India or to China. She said, can I give him part of my life? Dr. Thomas said, no, you cannot. And then he picked up a card and he wrote on the card, not so, Lord. And he pointed out how Peter at Caesarea Philippi, when he had claimed Jesus was the Messiah, and then Jesus had said that he would have to go to the cross, Peter had said, not so, Lord, and then he was rebuked by Jesus. He pointed out how in the book of Acts, when Peter wasn't willing to accept Gentiles into his fellowship and was told and said, not so, Lord, to, the, to God when he told him to, that you can't say, not so, and then say, Lord, because that's a contradiction in terms. And so Dr. Thomas picked up a card and he took his pen and he wrote, not so, and then he put Lord, and he handed it to her, and he said, cross out one of the other. Cross out not so, or cross out Lord. Go over and sit down and pray about it. She went over and looked at it for a long time. She thought about what Jesus had done for her. She came back with her eyes radiant and her face washed with tears, and she handed the card to Dr. Thomas. And she had crossed out the two words, not so. And she left the words, Lord. And when we have done that, then his love will come through us. And his love will flow through us to those who are round about us. If you've never accepted Jesus as your Savior, the most wonderful way to begin this school year would be to accept him. In prayer, our Heavenly Father, there are great things which we've heard about today. We have thought of Jesus in the garden and Jesus on the cross. We've thought about the body of Christ and the gifts of the Spirit and the responsibility we have to love one another. We know that this is the only infallible mark of a Christian. And so we pray that you will help us to surrender ourselves to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. If there are people here who have not, Help them to know that they can go to some quiet place, even this day, and say, yes, Jesus is Lord, and mean it, and know that him that cometh unto thee you will in no wise cast out. And then for those of us who have walked with you a long time, but are ashamed that our walk has been so faulty, help us to know that you love us too, and that you have patience to correct us. And may we be corrected, and may we walk, in a way that will be more worthy of the one who has called us. Now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God our Father and the communion and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit, our teacher and our guide, be and abide with us all now and forevermore.